Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. Thanks to all of you from a cottage at Lac Corbeau in the wilds of Quebec. My name is Kathleen Patchell, and I've lived on a farm near Carlton Place, Ontario for almost 40 years. My husband John and I have six children and 16 grandchildren, and every day I count my blessings. Today I want to talk to you about a song that holds a lot of meaning for me. Aaron, Matt, and Jake have been talking each Sunday this summer about several of the 150 psalms in the Bible, and I have found their presentations really inspirational. I have personally been working through one of the Bible Project's Bible studies, which covers the Bible in one year. And over the past month, I have been reading through the Psalms. When I got to Psalm 27, a rush of memories hit me, and I revisited a Psalm that represented one of my most intense encounters with God that I have ever experienced in my more than three score and 10 years. I will read Psalm 27 first, and then tell you the story of what the Psalm meant to me in the past, and what I think it might mean for you in the present. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour or slander me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. My story begins in 1984, probably before many of you were born. In the spring of that year, I discovered I was pregnant with baby number six. I had been diagnosed with gestational diabetes during my previous pregnancy, but the diabetes had not gone away. So the new pregnancy was considered high risk. My family doctor, my endocrinologist, and my obstetrician 
all asked me at my first appointment with each one, what are you going to do about it? I replied that I would never consider anything other than having this baby. After years of supporting pro-life groups like Action Life, suddenly the rubber hit the road, and I knew I had to put my actions in line with what I said I believed. Yes, it was a dangerous pregnancy for me and the baby, but I trusted that we were in God's loving arms. My parents came from Winnipeg for a visit, and when they found out I was pregnant again, they were upset and said some mean words. I know now it was because they were concerned about me, but at the time it was really hurtful not to receive their support. As the pregnancy progressed, I had to drive to the Civic Hospital every, every second week, and eventually every week, for an ultrasound. John said he thought the drive was the most dangerous part of the pregnancy. And sure enough, around the seventh month, I had an accident on a gravel road on the way home. The car slid on some loose gravel and flipped completely over. I walked away from the car uninjured, and what is even more amazing, the baby, who had been in a breech position up until then, flipped over to a regular presentation. It was as, as if he had stayed level while I rotated around him. Quite a miracle. One cold, rainy evening in December, we had a meeting at our house to host a visitor from the States who had come to speak at West Ottawa Christian Community the following Sunday. Those were the days when we had five families jointly sharing the farm, and Craig Hall's dad, Ken, was in charge of the sheep. Partway through the meeting in our living room, someone discovered that a ewe had gotten caught in a barbed wire fence, and the freezing rain had caused her thick wool to freeze to the fence. So Ken and a couple of the men cut the poor mama sheep from the fence and brought her into our kitchen to thaw out beside the wood stove. As you can imagine, that was the end of the meeting in the living room. Ken decided to stay in the kitchen with the ewe overnight. So we set up a makeshift bed for him and the rest of the family went to bed. Around 3 a.m. I went into labor, three and a half weeks early. So John and I dressed, stepped over Ken, stepped over the ewe and drove into Ottawa and a baby boy was born around 7 a.m. Another blessing, Ken was there to help get the older children off to school. As is usual with babies of mothers with diabetes, baby Daniel was put into an incubator in the ICU and hooked up to all sorts of monitors and tubes to stabilize his blood sugar. So I settled into my room with a novel that I had been saving for my holiday in the hospital. In those days, mothers weren't sent home as quickly as they are now. But about the second day, I was called to the ICU for an emergency. The student intern had messed up the electrolyte, measure, the electrolyte mixture being delivered to Dan, and he was having multiple seizures. It was probably one of the most horrible situations I have ever experienced. Would he live? Would his brain be damaged? I had no control. All I could do was pray with an intensity that I had never experienced before. I put away my novel and I vowed that I would seek God and immerse myself in his word. I read and reread the Psalms, particularly the Psalms in the 20s and 30s. And Psalm 27 was the one, the Psalm that spoke to me most loudly and clearly. 
The first thing the psalm addressed was the overwhelming fear that I felt for this baby. Verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Being reminded that the Lord was my light, my salvation, and my stronghold, I received a deep measure of peace and comfort. I called out to the Lord in my hospital room, starting at verse 7. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Though my parents had forsaken me at that time, I sought the face of the Lord, and in his mercy he did answer me with two promises that I claimed as his answers to me. The first was verse 13. I remain confident of this. I will see, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In the land of the living. This was like balm to a mother's heart. Balm, B-A-L-M. Daniel would live. The second verse was direct instruction to me. Verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Somehow I knew that as I waited for the Lord and rested in him, that all would be well. And sure enough, Daniel and I went home five days later. Further tests showed there was no brain damage and Dan has been a delight for the past 36 years, balancing out our family of three girls and three boys, keeping us all laughing with his wacky sense of humor, and now acting as a devoted father of two precious children. You can see why this psalm spoke so clearly to me in 1984, but the word of the Lord is timeless, and I would suggest that it's relevant to you in 2020. As we saw, David's first question in this psalm is about fear. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Ask yourself whether you live in fear or faith. Or in another way of looking at the word fear, do you have fear of your circumstances or fear of the Lord? We've all felt fear in the time of the COVID-19 pandemic, but it's never been more important for you and me to overcome our fears and to be proactive. The Bible teaches that every person is born with a contribution to make. It also teaches that even the smallest contribution is immensely valuable. We cannot know how our actions, our gifts, our personalities, or our prayers may impact another person or the world around us. Only God knows that. So it's imperative that each of us uses what we have been given. As we move through this difficult season, we all have something to give. It may be a smile, even with a mask on, a prayer, a text, or a phone call, weeding the garden, going to a job, or cooking a meal. It may be a few dollars we can spend to support a local business or an offering to our church. When we come through this crisis, it will be even more important that we don't allow fear to dictate our decisions and keep us dormant and uninvolved. Restoration will come as we act in power love, and the wisdom that comes with a sound mind, and not as we act in fear.
you may not be accustomed to believing you are valuable or that your gifts, roles, responsibilities, and abilities are valuable, but the Bible says otherwise. You have been gifted to make a difference. God didn't put us on this planet just to take up space, to use up finite resources, and to die. No way. He put us here to serve him by serving others, and nobody else can be you. If you don't serve God the way he intended for you to serve him, then the world misses the, that part of the jigsaw puzzle. The next thing I noticed this time that I meditated on Psalm 27 was verse 4, which says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. I love the idea of spending this life and eternity with the Lord, but to ask only one thing from the Lord? That really struck me because I ask for many things all the time when I pray. If you had to choose, is there one thing you would ask of the Lord? I tried answering that question and my answer was, the one thing I would ask of the Lord is that I will be joined in heaven by all my children and their spouses and their children and their children's children and on and on. I know that's a pretty bold prayer since our family already numbers 30 people, but as I look at all the promises for future generations of those who love the Lord, I sense that it is a prayer that makes God smile. Finally, what does the conclusion of Psalm 27 look like in our lives? Verse 13 says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In 1984, the promise I heard was that I would see the new baby in the land of the living. Now, as I look at this verse, I am overwhelmed by the confidence of the psalmist to see the goodness of the Lord as he waits for him. The more you understand God's goodness, the more hopeful you're going to be, because hope is anticipating God's goodness. The only reason you have hope is because God is good. If God is not a good God, there is no rational reason for hope. Lack of hope is the foundation of the rash of suicides that plague our country. So many people are living lives of quiet despair. Without God, people have no sense of purpose in this life or hope for eternal life. However, we have a hope that is greater than any human hope. It comes from knowing that the work of bringing the kingdom here on earth is God's work. Everything God does in you, through you, to you, and for you, he does because he is a good God and he loves you. As he says in Jeremiah 29, I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. I will give you a hope and a good future. God's goodness in your life isn't based on how good you are. It's based on God's character, not yours. I find it very freeing to acknowledge that God's goodness is based on his character and not mine. The final words of the psalmist encourage us to wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. What can you do while you're waiting on God to deliver you from the difficult season that we're going through? How can you gain courage as you trust God during these times? I pray for you in the words of Isaiah 40. May you who wait for the Lord renew your strength. May you mount up with wings as eagles. 
May you run and not be weary. May you walk and not faint. Lord, please teach us to wait. Blessings on you all. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.